0: Hey everybody, Happy New Year and welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy.
1: And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today for you we have reviews for The Post, Molly's Game, and Happy End. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh, and send it back means
0: life is too short for this mess, even though it's 2018.
1: Which means it's longer than it was last year. I guess so. Um, Although the threat of nuclear war looms even closer, so it might be shorter than mm-hmm. it was yesterday.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm this is the back and forth the push and pull that we all live in um and uh here we are guys with our first uh full-fledged episode of 2018 and uh even though i think all three movies that we're reviewing this week are movies that were released in new york and la at Mm. the end of december for awards qualifying runs they are just now coming to san francisco and so we're only getting to them now We promise that next week we'll be back with our first review of a shitty January movie. Because I know you've (laughs) all been looking forward to that. Because what fun is it listening to us review good movies? Although, this week's movies aren't that good.
1: Do we even have a pick of the week this week? We don't have a pick of the week Mm -hmm. this week.
0: Uh, So, there's that. There's also the fact that I am sick. I am sick, guys. I don't know if you can tell. Because my voice is normally quite deep and masculine. But uh this is actually a cold you hear and i'm gonna do my best to not send too much of a fog across the desk at rebecca i used a whole lot of mouthwash just before we started taping to oh, try thank to you. try to kill off any lingering mouth germs if that's where they live i'm not sure where they live <laughs> um but uh but it's our first time uh, recording since uh since the holidays and since new year's eve rebecca how uh, how was your break
1: uh, it was nice. It was a uh, relaxing. Um, I got into a terrible car accident, um, but otherwise, it was grand. Go on. Uh, you know, you know, uh, man decides to uh, take up a hobby that is uh, leisure bicycling. Oh. Puts bicycle on back of his fancy car. Oh, he would bicycle falls off of car on highway. Was it Elon Musk? He could. You know what could have been. Oh. It wasn't a Tesla. That was like a Beamer. Mm. Bicycle falls off. Um, and then I, and then the car that hit the bike uh, was a, a terrible car um, uh, poor fellow, um, just had kind of a beater. Um, and then he hit the bike and then he swerved and hit me and I was in a rental and um, so we we both got uh, shaken up quite a bit. Um, but the guy with the uh, bicycle was fine. <laughs> So that's so, As usual Happy holidays for As
0: usual Actually I guess not really as usual Usually when there are collisions The guy on the bicycle is not the one doing mm, great Yeah that's true but, uh, but this was a real reversal of fortune mm-hmm. um, But and other than that How are you doing? Um,
1: okay I, uh, I'm more scared of driving than I ever was Which is sure. a new thing mm-hmm. um, Other than that uh, Good A little sore sore a little sore in the back
0: yeah and uh and you're currently 0 for 2 on cars is that right yeah
1: and then my uh so that was a rental that I had that day and then since then I my regular car um the battery died but Mm -hmm. uh is that fixed yet it's fixed I got it replaced yay Yay! things
0: are looking up for 2018 yay
1: yeah that was the first thing I did in 2018 it's
0: gonna be your year let's
1: get a new battery for my car <laughs> yay <laughs> 2017 i felt like 2017 was in a lot of ways my year so mm, who mm-hmm. knows what this will bring i did do my uh i have an animal spirit animal deck um uh, of cards it's like tarot mm. cards but they're spirit animals mm-hmm. and so i did my year reading um and uh i don't know i think it looks pretty good i'm pretty cool. excited uh for this for this year
0: uh so what uh what are the animals saying to you
1: uh, you know, you pull a you pull a card for each month, and you pull a card for the uh, animal that kind of you know guides your year. Teacup. Uh, yeah, and once again, it's teacup. I think mm-hmm. she stacked the deck, <laughs> is the thing. <laughs> it's just cut out pictures.
0: She's such a shark.
1: And crudely drawn <laughs> pictures of her, clearly drawn by a cat. Um. <sighs> But you fall for it every time. I do. I do. Uh, yeah. Once again, she's my spirit animal. Oh. Uh, it'll be another year of uh, being disruptive, <laughs> being wildly disruptive <laughs> in the middle of the night. Um, how was your
0: holiday break? You know, it wasn't too bad. Um, I did a staycation this year. Um, I was fortunate enough to have the whole week off between Christmas and New Year's. and uh, And it became what I think might be the longest stretch of time I have spent in my own apartment where I didn't have a morning alarm Ooh! because I feel like normally whenever I'm whenever I don't have to wake up to an alarm it's because I'm traveling somewhere and it's a different time zone mm-hmm. and then it fucks with your sleep
1: right and time isn't real
0: right but this time it was here and I was like this is am I gonna get spoiled and the answer is yes now I can't sleep <laughs> but um it was nice well it lasted I also, I basically did um, a screener tour. If you're listening, Ampis, I didn't do this. I did a screener tour of various friends around the Bay Area where mm-hmm. I would bring my Oscar screeners to show them and watch with them.
1: Once again, reminding people uh, why they're friends with you all year.
0: Exactly. Because of the, the the payoff that you get at the very end. I get that. And uh, And this is definitely the year where officially no one has a DVD player anymore
1: oh right yeah
0: like it was like not only was i schlepping my my dvds to like all corners of the bay area i was doing so with <laughs> my dvd player like wrapped up and shoved in my book bag no because people were like oh i want to see ladybird i want to see i Tanya, which were the two movies i watched by far the most and uh and i'm like cool we have a dvd player and they're like no i'm like all right
1: well, I can do it. And you're like, well, then uh, buy some movie photo, a movie tickets, right, and I'll exactly. meet you in the theater.
0: <laughs> no, but in all, in all, in all sincerity, I love watching movies. For people who haven't seen them yet, I really am energized by it. And, uh, and especially with you know, Lady Bird and I, Tanya are two movies that I uh, really never stopped enjoying watching on repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that was that was a treat uh new year's eve uh we uh me and scott and our friend heidi went to go see metric the band at mezzanine and we stayed up until 10 a.m the next morning
1: wow uh, which is what happens you don't set an alarm
0: (laughs) exactly and i wonder why my sleep schedule is disrupted yeah (laughs) uh and that's also part of why my voice sounds the way it does right now it is a punishment Uh, It is January 3rd as we were taping this, so I'm just a little over 48 hours removed from my first sleep of the new year. But but anyway, uh, that is how my break was. It was nice, and now here we are facing down a new year, and I am sick, so what better way to get started?
1: Movies. Movies. They're always there for you when you're down. They sure are. The first one we're going to take a look at this week is a highly anticipated movie by Steven Spielberg. The Post. Katherine Graham is the first female publisher of a major American newspaper, The Washington Post. With help from editor Ben Bradley, Graham races to catch up with The New York Times to expose a massive cover up of government secrets that spans three decades and four U.S. presidents. Together, they must overcome their differences as they risk their careers and very freedom to help bring long buried truths to light. The Times has 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. The way they lied, those days have to be over. we
0: are talking about exposing years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living, kid? Ben, I might have something.
1: It must be precious cargo. It's just government secrets. Um, so we saw the post a little while ago um and have been kind of sitting sitting on our thoughts uh, about it ever since we talked a little bit after the movie we try not to chat too much i think we made that mistake um after call me by your name uh. we had like a really big chat about it and then you
0: don't feel like that carried th- oh yeah you you did have some regrets yeah about- i
1: just need to take notes because then i forget later when we there's been too big yeah. of a gap
0: and we've also already depending on when you are listening to this you may have already heard us include the post on our list of the mm. most disappointing movies of 2017 so spoiler alert so we may have tipped our cap to you there on how we feel about it
1: what uh what what are you, what thoughts linger with you at this point um a, a bit removed from watching it
0: well, um, as I mentioned on our end-of-year episode, I watched it a second time uh, with Scott to show him the screener. And also, yeah, like I said, I wanted to sort of confirm, verify my reaction to it to be like, okay, was I just in a bad mood? Was it the? Was it like the audience? I always want to blame the audience if I can. Um, but <clears throat> I think that it's genuinely just a bad movie. Uh, you know, it is just spielberg's tonal approach is all wrong um it's 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 naive it's idealistic it's simplistic Simplistic, uh it is this like weirdly sort of like flag waving uh, throat clearing like we're doing important work here um, you know, borderline propaganda. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to call it that because the cause that it's advocating for is so important, mm-hmm. uh, which is the right to a free press. And uh, and that is the main reason why I feel like so many people are rallying behind this movie right now is because, you know, not since Nixon, uh, which is this story in this film, not since Nixon, have we had a president who was so openly at war with the media. Mm-hmm. And uh, although the thing that's almost poignant about watching this film there are a number of sequences of um, of uh, sort of like a, a Nixon silhouette in the Oval Office, ranting to various people on the tapes that he kept, and it's the real Nixon audio. Mm. And um, and it's like, oh wow, he sure sounds eloquent <laughs> compared <laughs> compared to what we're dealing with currently.
1: This is also Streep Hanks um, in uh, headlining this movie, uh, which which feels like. Two big cards played at their biggest. I don't know. Mm, mm-hmm. There's there's not a lot of subtlety in 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 either of them. Mm.
0: I mean, I felt like I feel like Streep actually. Okay, so Meryl Streep plays Catherine Graham, uh, who was the publisher of the Washington Post, and um, and she sort of inherited the newspaper. Originally, it was owned and run by her father, and then he died. He left it to her husband. He committed suicide. She took over, and for some reason, the screenplay. One of the weird things about the post is that it tells probably one of the least interesting versions of the story of the Pentagon Papers that you could possibly find.
1: (laughs) The the B list newspaper that took it up after the New York Times.
0: Yeah, it's real strange. You know, we have a prologue where we have Daniel Ellsberg played by Matthew Rhys from The Americans, Um, and we see you know where he came from and he was in Vietnam and then he you know played this role in getting the papers out there leaked to the media So sort of before there was WikiLeaks, there were you know guys like daniel ellsberg who were just you know cop you know mass copying these government documents and sending them off to various news outlets in the hopes that they would be published in the case of the pentagon papers um you know essentially it was uncovering decades and various uh, administrations worth of covering up the fact that vietnam was like an unwinnable war mm-hmm. and uh and uh you know and sort of that we were led into that under false pretenses and that we lost so many American lives uh, for something that was never really thought of as a winnable thing.
1: And most of this was based on the um, thorough analysis led by um, Robert McNamara, which always had to give a plug for Fog of War. Yes, the Errol Morris documentary. Mm
0: -hmm. And McNamara is a character in this movie played by Bruce Greenwood. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, so there's all that story. There's the story of how it got to the times there's a story of how the times had a federal injunction slapped on them to prevent them from further publishing. Um, and, uh, and then there's the story of a rich socialite (laughs) who, uh, got a newspaper handed down to her through her family, uh, who is preparing to, um, take the post out for its initial public offering for its IPO and who sure gets spooked, um, (laughs) that what if, you know, what if it compromises our IPO, you know, our paper's failing and, we need to keep it, you know, funded. And there is the chance that if we, you know, put this stuff out there, not only could it hurt our IPO, but those are my friends. Robert McNamara is a dinner party pal of mine. Riveting. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's really not an interesting story. So, you know, the Catherine Graham angle of it, the movie bends over backwards to reposition her as this sort of like great feminist hero. mm mm-hmm. But it's not exactly Meryl and Suffragette. Uh, <laughs> like she in, it does
1: feel very cheap.
0: It, yeah. It's it's, you know, in, in this is none of this has to do with Meryl's performance. She is a very nuanced in the role. She gets to put on a socialite voice, which is fun. Um <laughs> Alison Bree plays her daughter and she gets to bring out her trudy voice for Mad Men again, which I didn't realize <laughs> how much I had missed. Uh but you know, and so it's basically this sort of journey of Kay Graham, uh, learning to stand up for herself and to assert her own vision and her own uh, ownership, her own agency over the paper that she owns, even though previously she had been basically, you know, disregarded by all the various dudes who were calling the shots on the board, uh, among the editors, you know, no one took her seriously. And so what we have here is a fairly minor shift in K. Uh, at least as presented by Meryl's performance, where she kind of just gets more comfortable calling calling the shots.
1: That take pl- that seems to take place literally overnight. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much she takes one approach, which is like letting people sort of make the decisions or or drive for her, until one night where she makes the the most important call for sure. But she makes the call. Yeah, uh, maybe it's because she's an older character and a socialite at a, in a in a a different time. But her performance felt the most period piece like to me uh mm. where the others were outside of like costume mm-hmm. um it seemed relatable and and of of any sort of right. of time just people trying to get this story out and having mm-hmm. conversations about law and liability um but she felt it like it was a performance of about uh, a different time mm-hmm. that that seemed a little uh hard to relate to
0: yeah i feel like meryl was definitely channeling you know i mean since she was around at this time and so I feel like mm-hmm. she was probably thinking of her mother, her aunt, you know, who have women, her mm. family, women she grew up around. She does do a very good job of making herself very small uh, in in these scenes and very quiet. And, you know, sitting there, the only woman in a room full of men, and just sort of smiling ruefully to herself as she'll go to say something and then a guy just talks over her and then she has to be quiet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it has all those elements to it, but it's just... It's just, she's still not that sympathetic. You know, this movie is so weirdly anti-Marxist in the sense that it wants you to, like, cheer on the owners of the means of production. (laughs) (laughs) They're the real heroes.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that, like, her decision comes down to basically this, again, like you mentioned, her friendship with uh, McNamara, that she um, is pretty hesitant to publish the papers until she has this face-to-face talk with him in his house that is, like at these dinner parties you you told us that our our loved ones were going to be safe and that they were fighting for something um that was real and, and now reading your analysis and what your opinions and these government papers you lied to all of us mm-hmm. so it's like if you are in a position to really get to speak to the the primary puppet master about this war otherwise you wouldn't have considered you know not or publishing the papers
0: yeah right exactly like it comes from her privilege that she is you know able to have you know those kinds of interactions And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I guess neither here nor there, ultimately, like, it's, you know, like that is who she was, that's where she was positioned. And that's part of of, why she was able to sort of leverage that and make the decision that she did.
1: But in terms of like a feminist hero, I don't know, it's kind of a a stretch there.
0: Yeah, no, Um, it's, I just, I just didn't buy, I just didn't buy the narrative uh, of her as feminist hero in this film, it just doesn't really come together, especially since she's just kind of, yeah, you see her sort of just like, duttering around from dinner party to dinner party <laughs> and you know you yes. ch- cheersing and toasting mm-hmm. and then you know being interrupted like you know oh you have ben bradley on the phone and her being like oh do excuse me no. and then you know and then trips you know traipses away um you know cocktail in hand she's like oh ben what is it i'm having a party dog uh and they're like oh dear well what do
1: we do now uh you know it's <laughs> you could do this all night i could um don't Thank you. there's also a little just very little subtlety with the like, the direct, like, we don't think a woman can run this paper mm. um, dialogue that's, um, I mean, not that that wasn't said, um, right. but it's it's just, I don't know.
0: There's just nothing subtle about it at all, period. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there, there are scenes, you know, where Tom Hanks will, like, turn to his secretary and he, the moment, and go, God, I love this job. Yeah. And it's like, oh, fuck you. Tom Hanks uh, in his
1: particular uh, accent um, that, that that also feels like, I don't know, um, little theater puts on like a like give me your best like 1940s newspaper man voice.
0: <laughs> yes, and this is the character also Ben Bradley. Jason Robards played him in All the President's Men, mm-hmm. won an Oscar for doing. So and Tom Hanks won't repeat that. No. Not no. going to repeat it. Uh so yeah, so we have the you know, we have this sort of more or less the A story for no reason, which is Catherine Graham and her like overnight, you know, crisis about whether or not to publish the papers. And then we have, you know, what amounts to the B story, which is the actual work by Mm -hmm. Ben Bradley and his editors and reporters to figure out how to ascertain the information, how to go about reporting it, what the risks are, how to navigate this. Um, And, you know, in that part is also like, it's just, it's all so hacky. Mm -hmm. It's all so hacky. It's all so obvious. It's all played with such a heavy hand. Uh, it is the
1: anti-spotlight, mm, which is a natural comparison for this movie.
0: Yeah, you know, Spotlight is one of the best journalism movies ever made.
1: And let, let it be noted that Jason uh, is a, a journalism major.
0: Well, no, I was an English major. I say I, this every time. I think I, I get this wrong every time. But I did. I was active in student media, but I was, uh, but I ultimately was an English major. But. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't port, I don't pretend to be a journalist. But you know, I've, I've been in, I've been in student newsrooms <laughs> for a few years, so I have that insight. Into Which is it.
1: weird, because you're still there, even though you're not in school anymore. Why do I you do, hang out there? I like
0: to drop by. Okay. Um. But um. But yeah. So you know, it's it's all done with such a yeah, just the the freaking ridiculous soaring John Williams music. Uh, it's just, it's just, it would have benefited from being played with a much more subtle hand a much more restrained hand, especially given how important this kind of story is. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I feel like, you know, we are genuinely in a state of crisis in our country about the distrust of the media. And, you know, there has been so much insane uh, brainwashing and propagandizing about how the mainstream media can't be trusted, uh, in which things have been conflated that aren't real. The idea that they um, maybe can make tasteless decisions in terms of graphics uh, and, <laughs> you know, and can bring on talking heads who don't know what they're talking about has been conflated to mean that they lie. Right. Which is not the case. Right uh So you know, and and now we have the president saying he's going to give out a fake news award.
1: Right. I wonder. Yeah. Jesus. We'll know more about more about that when it happens at what, yeah, I'm five sure this... on Friday. Yeah. Which is when the post comes out. Yeah. Um, so a fine
0: way to celebrate. I think that uh, like
1: the fact that this movie you know hits you over the head with a lot of things and is super obvious all the complaints we have about it mm-hmm. for for when it gets like m- you know released across the country probably won't be a problem for most people. I feel like these are like uh, maybe like critic complaints. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, the people who maybe need to hear this message or need to be reminded that the media um, ha- plays an important role in society and, um, you know, holding the government accountable for things, m- will get the message and they'll go see the new Tom Hanks movie yeah. and it will win. Um, cause I, I can't see that, that this will, you know, maybe, maybe this is what um, a lot of people need.
0: I mean, maybe they'll do that or maybe they'll just be like, yep, that's back when the media was worth a damn. Because mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very rosy, nostalgic portrait True. of you know pre-cable news, newspaper publishing. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're you know people. I don't I don't see that they will necessarily even make that connection. They'll just be like, yeah, that's back when journalism was a real thing
1: with set type.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> In was ink wh- on your hands god damn it (laughs) um so ridiculous and you know i will say the one thing i'll say about the post is that they pull together quite a cast um every actor of the moment uh is in this movie there's
1: a tiny mr show reunion
0: there is there is not even tiny (laughs) (laughs) there's a full-on mr show reunion (laughs) of bob odenkirk and david cross subtle we've jesse plemons we have carrie coon um the thing that made me the angriest and now i've gone back to angry again
1: (laughs) <laughs> is
0: so they've done something great, which is put Sarah Paulson in a Steven Spielberg movie. Oh, right. And then they've done something horrible, which is cast Sarah Paulson as Tom Hanks's stock supportive wife. Yeah. Who literally, the main thing she does in this movie, is rush into a room carrying a tray of sandwiches to feed the reporters as they pour through the leaked papers.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was a waste of talent, for and, sure.
0: And she gets one scene... Where she basically reminds Tom Hanks that women have it different than men have it.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, as, you know, women do.
0: Yes. Um, and uh, and it's, I am, I am livid, livid at this waste, this, this misuse of Sarah Paulson's talent. Uh, so that made me furious. And uh, I don't know, the whole movie, I'm really torn on what to even give it. Like, I, I'm really, like, I, part of me does want to just say send it back because I'm so mad at it for being mm. so tone deaf uh and for being so oblivious and obvious but you know i don't know at the end of the day i guess it's a consume moderation for me yeah, it's mean, like a consume minus
1: not to sound like the that sound like me but uh it's like just go run fog of war and all the president's men and call <laughs> it spotlight. a night yeah and spotlight watch those three and you'll get it right yeah you i get the experience without having to watch this one
0: yeah i don't think you'll get anything uh From watching this that you wouldn't get from those aside from my my shared anger about the misuse of sarah paulson which is a real crime
1: are we going with send it back
0: (sighs) Mm, i'll stick with consume minus are you gonna do are you gonna (laughs) do 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 a
1: send plus (laughs) send plus
0: our first ever send it back plus
1: um yeah i'm gonna go with send it back all right um yeah i
0: mean fuck this movie Like, honestly, like when I watched it with Scott, he burst out laughing at the final scene. It has one of the most ridiculous final scenes.
1: Yeah. It's
0: just like Spielberg. He has made like what this movie made me want to just cancel Spielberg forever. Mm, It's like, like old man, you don't don't have it anymore. You just don't fucking have it anymore. Like there's no room in the in like, like you are you're out of touch. You're out of sync. Yeah. But then I remember I was like, well, you know, Bridges Spies was really subtle and Lincoln was really good. So, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe, one. maybe it's a bummer script. I don't know. But this is a definitely one of his worst movies. And unfortunately, it's one of his only movies with a female protagonist.
1: It seemed like it was It it seemed like it was a rush job.
0: It was a rush job. They made this movie in like record time. It's like, a bit, I think they're furious about uh, Christopher Plummer and all the money in the world <laughs> stealing their <laughs> thunder. Because I think they went into production of this movie in like June. Uh, so they did turn this around at record time. Yeah. And uh, and uh, unfortunately, they don't have much to show for it.
1: Uh, it's rated right PG-13 for language and brief war violence. And that brings us to our second movie of the week, which is Molly's Game. The true story of Molly Bloom, a beautiful young Olympic-class skier who ran the world's most exclusive high-stakes poker game for a decade before being arrested in the middle of the night by 17 FBI agents wielding automatic weapons. Her players included Hollywood royalty sports stars, business titans, and finally, unbeknownst to her, the Russian mob. Her only ally was her criminal defense lawyer, Charlie Jaffe, who learned there was much more to Molly than the tabloids led people to believe. I'm Molly Bloom. Do you know about me? I read your indictment after I got your call last night and I bought your book. Do you understand that you are charged with operating an illegal gambling business? Are you taking me on as a client? I don't think I can convince my partners that they a fly on the poker princess. If you think a princess can do what I did, you're incorrect. I'm getting that you don't think much of me, but what if every single one of your ill-informed, unsophisticated opinions about me were wrong? I'd be amazed. Keeping on theme with things, are, dads like. <laughs> things Dads
0: Like. Things Dads Like. Yeah, they both have very distinctive approaches to storytelling. Let's Mm -hmm. put it that way. There we go. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Hard to shake.
1: Um, Are we doing a lot of walking and talking here in in Molly's game?
0: It's actually, it's a lot more sitting and talking and a lot of voiceover. Okay. Yes. Uh, So what we have here is almost kind of a a surprise companion piece to I, Tanya, Because this, this is also the story of a disgraced Olympian. Except for the disgrace, is uh, is not really connected to the Olympic bit. So we have the story of Molly Bloom, um, who started off as uh, yeah an Olympic track skier, uh, who while uh, training for uh, the uh, the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics, uh, had a terrible accident that like basically you know shattered her spine, and she could never again um, uh, she could never again ski. So she uh, packed up, went to L.A got a job as like a bottle service babe uh, became the assistant to a total hollywood douche lord found out through him that he hosts these like underground super high stakes poker parties like of uh, what you know was a no limits texas hold or whatever and um which is
1: a world that you're very interested in
0: you can tell right <laughs> and uh, like a book i am
1: like it's a bloomin' onion <laughs>
0: and um and so he looks to her uh to help run the game so basically she's there to like keep the books and check in the guys and help them feel appreciated and flirted with and all that stuff and um and then sort of one thing leads to another he tries to fire her because he feels like she's making too much money and then she uh sort of savvily cunningly steals the game from him and sets up a whole new operation and brings the guys all along with her and uh and then she kind of does that for about ten years in various locales, starting in um, L.A., moving to New York, and uh, but then the feds get wise to it, and she gets mixed up with the Russian mob and all this stuff. It's really a story for story's sake. Mm. Like it's really, it's at the end of the day, it's not that interesting. There's not like a there's not like a takeaway. Oh, another through line from this to the post. Is that so? This is Aaron Sorkin's first time. You're like, it
1: sucks. Is that, it sucks. <laughs> um,
0: this is Aaron Sorkin's first ever female protagonist.
1: Oh, right. Okay.
0: And, um, and uh, man, oh man, does he just really struggle with writing for women? Mm. And uh, to the point where, uh, yeah, so I was reading an interview with the real Molly Bloom about this and um and she was like you know most uh filmmakers who want to talk to me about adapting my book you know they all want to talk about the same things they want to talk about the drugs they want to talk about the sex they want to talk about the celebrities because in these poker games um you know there were famous actors Mm -hmm. and there's one guy who in her book she only called like mr x or something and it turned out it was revealed subsequently that it was toby Maguire, and uh, uh He's played in the movie not Toy McGuire, but that role is played by Michael Sarah, <laughs> uh, who is yeah, who is surprisingly creepy. Uh, really comes on strong, but um, so she's like, yeah, that's all all the other people want to talk about about my story, but Aaron Sorkin was really interested in my relationship with my father. Oh God! <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no fucking shit. Aaron Sorkin was interested in your relationship with your father. Oh, and uh, she's like, and also. Uh, in my relationship with my lawyer, and uh, and how he helped understand me.
1: Oh my god! I'm like,
0: yeah, again, no shit. Have you ever watched anything Aaron Sorkin has written? Right. Um, and she's like, you know, and it's funny because watching, because so, you know, Idris Elba plays her lawyer, mm-hmm. and uh, and he is very sort of dubious of her and very skeptical and thinks that she's you know trash and and not worth thinking about. And she's like, you know, it's funny, Molly Wilma's in interview. She's like, it's you know, when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, wow. You know, I almost feel like Aaron was sort of processing his own like, evolving <laughs> feelings for me through, through Charlie's dialogue. I'm like, yeah, again. No shit. Like Aaron Serkin is that kind of he's that kind of just fully transparent writer where as much like verbal fireworks as he can set off. He is just as plain as the ant on Nose's face, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and it's so yeah. You can very plainly see Aaron Sorkin in his own thoughts about Molly Bloom coming out of Idris Elba's mouth. Uh, in the role of Molly's father, we have Kevin Costner, uh, who has some sort of you know verbal sparring matches with her in flashback about feminism. Uh, which is you know always nice to see Aaron Sorkin you know sort of schooling female characters about feminism and uh, do you know
1: if the part of her father played a significant role in the book at all?
0: Um, I haven't read the book but mm-hmm. um, but I mean it seemed like you know he was pulling from what she told him, mm-hmm. but then just putting his own twist on it and putting of course his words in the father's mouth uh, this col- right. this culminates in a scene of such frustration of such insulting ineptitude, uh, that it basically ruins the entire movie. There's a scene toward the very end where, uh, where Molly's father reappears at a pivotal moment and sits her down and basically says, you're like this because you have daddy issues. Everything you've ever done in the world is because you want to control powerful men uh and uh and just mansplains her into the ground uh and he's like three things he's like i'm gonna give you oh god what does he say he's like i'm gonna give you three years of therapy in three minutes here we go and Mm. it's it's so sorkin it's so dismissive it's so patronizing it's so condescending it is one of the most vile disgusting scenes of any movie i've seen this year uh and it really it derails it derails the whole thing because up until well, yeah, up, up until around that point. The movie has a very sort of pleasing, kind of goodfellas flow to it. Uh, you know, like where, the
1: fun of the games and the Yeah,
0: it's like there's a lot of flash and dazzle in the photography and the editing. Jessica Chastain uh is is more than enough in the role. Idris Elba is great. They both handle all the dialogue with a plum. Uh it's really a companion piece to that Miss Sloan movie that mm-hmm, um that Jessica mm-hmm. Chastain did the previous year. Um, but uh, but then you know, but then Aaron Sorkin has to go and fuck it up, just like he did with the fucking Steve Jobs movie, where he mm, made it right. all about that father daughter relationship. Like he just has his goddamn obsessions, and they're boring obsessions, and he keeps working them out in story after story, and um, you know, and it just seems like he he can't as much as he wants to be like, oh look, I made a movie about a woman, so shut up everyone. Um, uh, you know, God. he also basically <laughs> has this woman have everything explained to her over and over and over in the movie.
1: Wait, wait, and like the mo- the the point of the woman's story is like don't tell me I ran this thing amazingly no one can tell me that I'm like one of the lines that we Mm -hmm. pulled from was like I'm not a princess like I know what I'm fucking doing
0: yeah and that's a that's a nice cherry-picked line for a trailer but the reality is you spend most of the movie watching either Aegis Elba explain things to her Kevin Costner explain things to her her shitty um, uh, boss in Hollywood explain things to her and in the end a judge explain things to her so it's really no credit. I'm sorry, Aaron Sorkin, no fucking credit to you for writing your first female protagonist story. Because it seems like he, he could only write a story about a woman who he feels like he can intellectually crush. Uh, because Molly Bloom's story is, is, is all told a fairly small story. Hmm. She was a failed Olympian who ran a poker ring and made a bunch of money. And then the feds went after her, but then they backed off. End of story.
1: Do we have any redeeming factors here? We have uh Selva so and Jessica Chastain. Yeah,
0: the performances are good. Um, you know, the energy, it definitely crackles along uh, until, you know, until it just fully derails itself in the final act. Uh, and uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. There's really not, like, I, like, the story is just a shrug. You know, like, I think that in Aaron Sorkin's mind, this is some sort of story about, like, oh, a woman... Um, you know, beating men at their own game, literally,
1: um, (laughs) and,
0: uh, you know, learning how to, you know, navigate, uh, in a man's world. Uh, but that's the thing is that to do that, you know, she has to do a a lot of sitting around listening to men, explain things to her. Mm. And in the end, like, it's not like she's not an aspirational figure.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, you know, like no, no one would watch this movie and be like, I want to be like Molly Bloom. Uh, you know, because, you know, no judgment against running a poker ring and making tons of money from that, but just because I feel like even in her narrative of her own life, she's like, yeah, you know, like I did what I had to do. Then I got really fucked up into drugs and then everything kind of fell apart. And then I was in trouble with the law. It's sort of like, it's, it's like, it's not aspirational. So like, Oh, feminist hero, Molly Bloom. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm really at a loss between Molly Bloom and Catherine Graham over who I'm like, who is the more of a feminist? uh it's 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 tough it's a tough call here
1: so it's a great story um if your boss told it to you as their previous life before working with you but yeah. not as a movie to go see or they didn't if they would have handled the story in the way of like who were the celebrities and what was the money and done it in like a uh you know vegas flashy way would that yeah. have been a more interesting story i think it
0: would have been and to be clear, the movie is very entertaining uh it's you know it's really entertaining it's really quick. Uh, You know, the dialogue, if you try not to pay too close attention to like the Sorkonian um, psychology underneath it, Mm -hmm. um, is live wire. Uh, But, you know, and yeah, I think that if someone else had told the story and not gone all Sorkin on it, that yeah, it would have been it would have been a perfectly, uh, you know, just yeah, like a caper. It's basically a caper. But then Sorkin gets into his own head and makes it more than a caper and makes it into some sort of goddamn, you know, father daughter psychodrama um and it's just not that
1: um what are you giving this one this is a consume at the end of the day i
0: actually like this movie more than i like the post um but you know there's you know just fuck sorkin (laughs)
1: just end of the day (laughs) same old same old (laughs) fuck sorkin um molly's game is rated r for language drug content and some violence and that brings us to our third movie of the week um which is happy end unlike this podcast (laughs) it's called happy end Michael Hanukkah returns with a drama about a well-off French family living in a bourgeois bubble in northern France, oblivious to the human misery unfolding in migrant camps around the port town of Calais, a few miles from their home. So the trailer's in French, and we are not prepared no. to live translate it. Um, Jason, this is... Let's see, let's just try to tie the thread. Here we have a noted sex pervert, Isabelle Hubert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the real feminist hero in all of this. Doing
1: what she does best.
0: Sex perverting. Sex perversion. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, no, this does actually keep up with the thread because Michael Hanukkah is another, uh, yeah, just sort of like granddad of cinema mm-hmm. who um, absolutely has a very distinct and invariable style of filmmaking. You do you. <laughs> and... uh and uh, and you know and it can be used to very powerful effect and it can be used to not so powerful and just pointless effect.
1: So we have uh, funny games, yeah, white ribbon,
0: uh huh, cachet, Caché. Oh, I, I
1: know that was and, him
0: and amour, which was his uh, his big breakthrough. Uh, well, not breakthrough in the sense of like, oh, people finally heard of him. Well, oh, he also did The Piano Teacher, which was, uh, you ah. know, the, you know, so that was what people were excited that, oh, you know, Hanukkah and Hubert are together again.
1: I think that was my introduction to her.
0: Yes. Was which piano is a teacher. quite
1: an intro. It really is. But here's the thing. Um, that first impression was accurate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's Not always the case. But in this case, you're like, yep, sex pervert.
1: Still sex pervert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know, like a, a fancy bougie sex pervert, oh, but a, yeah, you know, very chic, lots of plum colored suits, but a sex pervert all the same. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and so Amour was the film that he made a few years back about uh, an aging couple played by uh, Jean-Louis Trintignant and Emmanuel Riva, who received an Oscar nomination for uh, the movie and the movie itself won Best Foreign Film, which was a first for Hanukkah. Because those movies are generally too dark, weird, and off-putting mm-hmm. to to win in that category, despite their critical acclaim. And Happy End is a sequel of sorts uh, to Amour, uh, but it's sort of just like a it's it's <laughs> it's sort of like a, a very glib, uh, sadistic sequel. Uh, saw... More
1: is the movie with the aging couple. Um, and in, yeah. he gets, no, she gets more ill she, than he does. Yeah. And, and that they have a daughter.
0: Who's played by Isabella Pair.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. yes, yes, yes.
0: And uh, yeah. And so, you know, we have this, uh, you know, this man trying to figure out how to continue caring for his wife as she deteriorates rapidly in front of him. And uh, and it was really uh, it was somewhat atypical for Hanukkah just because it was kind of not sweet but it actually had like a recognizably human emotional core (laughs) uh, even though it and you know even though it was ultimately very unsparing in its depiction of its Mm. sort of climactic act of violence Um, but you know mercy violence all the same but but now in this it's sort of like okay well now you know grandpa's just living with his piece of shit bourgeois family and everyone's cheating on everyone and there's a 13 year girl who won't get off snapchat and, uh, you know, we've all been there. We we just had our holiday season. <laughs> we've all just literally been there. And, uh, yeah, it just feels, it's just very minor. It's like these are easy, familiar targets for Hanukkah, any filmmaker. Like, oh, you know, bourgeois family is so corrupt. It's like, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, and there's also, there's so much of it that plays out across, like, social media, whether on Snapchat or Facebook Messenger or Twitter, in like and, that
1: way where it pops up over the screen? Yeah.
0: Um, or, or lots of just lots of lengthy shots of just, you know, a cursor with people like writing Facebook messages back and forth to each other, mainly to carry on affairs. And, you know, which is probably the third or fourth biggest use for Facebook Messenger. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, but it's kind of one of those it's it makes you feel like, oh, God, okay. So now we have like another cranky old filmmaker being like social media is the ruination of family uh, or some such bullshit like that. So that's a snooze. Um, one thing I will say for it is that it has a scene in which one of like the fuck ups in the family does um, a drunken karaoke performance to Sia's chandelier,
1: and that resonated.
0: It did. Uh-huh. It did. It was a moment of levity that I that I that I sorely needed uh, from the movie. <laughs> uh, what?
1: How does this movie handle the, the you know in the premise uh, in the description about uh, this family being? Paired with the migrant camps nearby.
0: Yeah, uh whenever I was reading about that today, so this is a movie, I have not seen this since September. I saw it in Tifting and uh and when I read that I was like, Wait, does that happen? Is there anything about that in the movie? Because I didn't remember. And now I can remember there's like a there's like a finale sequence where I believe like some some refugees are brought in and just sort of like crash a family party. Um but it's definitely not the main focus of the movie
1: interesting because that yeah that was part of the description um and and something else i had read about it and in the trailer it doesn't surface at all it seems no, like it's only about this family it really
0: is predominantly about this family and um and and i really don't feel like it's that much about the refugee crisis in europe uh and you know it's a really
1: a, odd selling
0: yeah i feel like they're trying to give it more credit than it deserves um you know yeah it's this very sort of it uh, i saw a, a, a review today that i would agree with that it almost feels like Hanukkah was offended that people loved Amor so much and responded to it sort of having this this uh this real emotional heart to it. And so he was like, Oh, you wanna see what, you know, life and death really is, it's meaningless nothingness
1: <laughs> and
0: came right back <laughs> with a bunch of saps. Exactly. And then uh came back with this to punish us all for being moved by Amor. Mm. Um and just uh,
1: withdrawal. just yeah, Just you give some and then you take it back. A very
0: yeah, what an abusive relationship. Very we have withholding. With him. No, I'm withholding it. Look at me getting off.
1: So if you've had a chance to listen to our best of the year episode, which is coming out right around the same time here, um, and most disappointing, you gave a movie with two Julianne Moores. Um, a most disappointing. So what are you going to give a movie with one Isabelle Huppert?
0: <laughs> you know, and Isabelle Huppert is Julianne Moore's favorite actress.
1: Is there a currency exchange? Is it two for one? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think that's about uh, you know give or take the current currency rates of the yen.
1: I think is what mm-hmm. really
0: throws it. But <laughs> you know uh, this is this is you know I, I, I would take you know the, I mean, it's funny you bring up the Julian Moore thing the Suburbicon because that also was a kind of half-assed, lazy, not fully formed suburban, uh, you know, uh, satire. Although that was much more about like, you know, American suburbia. And this is more about like a just a, you know, a fairly wealthy bourgeois French family. But, you know, but the sort of both are tiresome targets.
1: Mm-hmm. And neither
0: of these movies have anything new or fresh to do about like the people that they're lampooning. And, you know, Suburbicon at least uh, was... You know, had a bit of energy. You know, Hanukkah's style has always been to be so unbelievably glacial with his pacing, and uh, you know that you're like, I know this is all building up to some sort of like horrifying sex. act of violence right, okay. and or you know, cat. sex yeah. or cat murder, uh, <laughs> cat sex, <laughs> right? Which is the same thing, really. <laughs> if you if the cats are doing it, right. if you're hearing it, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I can't say that I, you know, like if this movie was was not done with Hanukkah's usual, yeah, that kind of just creeping along those endless stationary shots where you're like, what am I watching? Um, it opens with a really long one of those. Um, and then they continue throughout the film. And it's just kind of like, OK, this doesn't amount. To, it's just not enough. There's just mm-hmm. not enough to this movie to make it worth sitting through. Hanukkah's fucking static camera for you know 10 minutes at a time so uh so no
1: weird cat <laughs> sex uh then. is what I'm saying okay yes gotcha.
0: so you have to just watch Novitiate again
1: all right so we're giving this one a send it back <laughs> um
0: god you know I might actually yeah I think it is a send it back I just can't imagine me recommending this to anyone um you know the chandelier performance almost puts it into consume uh territory but uh uh, yeah, I I think I have to have the courage of my convictions and uh, have our first episode of the year be two send it backs in one consume. Wow, that was almost a send it back.
1: But there are so many movies to watch. There's so many that just um you know right. you took know, up on our uh, best of list and they're still in the theaters right now. Yeah. Um, so you have plenty to do. Um, we even give you some homework around the post. Um, yes, exactly. Some alternates, some alternates. Fog of War is amazing and terrifying, and important. Uh, also relevant. Here, here. Happy End is rated R for some sexual material, hmm, holding on on me, and language in that it's French, <laughs> which automatically gets an R.
0: Not under this roof.
1: <laughs> um, that does it for our first um, not so so, so but not so spectacular episode of the year. Let's hope um, it just keeps getting better than this it has to we have some exciting movies next week I believe we do Um, thank you so much for listening Um, be sure to follow us on uh, Twitter if you get a chance Jason is at xsvaggage. I'm at Fight Balance thank you so much for listening happy 2018 we love you Bye bye bye
0: binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason you made it to the end that's amazing
1: there goes the binge